Amen. amen. Well, you got a Bible with you, say amen. And uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we find ourselves. Listen, if you're a guest of ours, we've been going verse by verse through this particular book. And uh, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians deal primarily with doctrine. So we entitled that portion of our study, Crazy Good, because it was indeed crazy good all that God has done for us as a church to bring us into a relationship with Him as well as to one another. So the last three chapters, we want to kind of kick it off by talking about how Paul the Apostle wants us to look good in our faith and look good with one another in unity. And so he kind of opens it up in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, saying just that. So if you'll stand with me out of God's Word this morning, and uh, you've got it there in front of you, say amen. All right, so the Bible says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Let's bow together. Father, we're so thankful for your divine word, and we pray that as a fellowship right now, we will be hospitable to it. And as the scripture comes into our lives, Father, I pray that you'd wash each one of us clean, making us more like your son, Jesus. And at the same time, Lord, we pray that you also would help us to see the importance of us making sure that we are living together in harmony as a fellowship. God, we not only want to experience that corporately, but we also want to experience that in our small groups. And then, at the same time, we want to experience it in our homes where we live. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to us as you see fit, and we'll give you glory for it. And that's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So you go ahead and be seated this morning. So in my personal devotion, I'm reading Luke's Gospel. I found myself in chapter 7 a couple of weeks ago. And in this particular story, we find Jesus and his disciples approaching a town called Nain. Now, the interesting thing is that as Jesus and his disciples were approaching the city gates, there were a throng of people who were walking out of the city. They were actually walking out of the city led by a processional of those who were mourning the death of a young boy. Jesus' eyes were transfixed upon the mother. The mother had experienced two tragedies in her life. First of all, her husband had died, leaving her a widow. And then secondly, now she is burying her son. So she is brokenhearted. Jesus, the Bible says, looking at this woman, felt compassion upon her. Now this idea of feeling compassion means that he was really moved deep down in his gut over the lady's situation. So he, seeing her tears desired to reach out and to serve her. So you know what he did? It's pretty wild. He walks up to where the coffin is. And then these particular days, a little different than today, they would hold the coffins up very high, several men would, and they would lead that coffin out of the city for burial. Jesus walks up to the side of the coffin, touches it, and then says, uh, get up. Are y'all with me say yes? And then the little boy sits up in the coffin, which by the way, that would totally freak you out in a funeral, would it not? But that is exactly what occurred. So now Jesus takes the little boy, puts him in his arm, and delivers that young boy to the mother. And that funeral was then turned into a massive celebration. Now the reason that I share that with you is because in my personal devotion, as I was reading that and studying that, I began to pray. I said, Lord, thank you so much that you have the ability to turn dead things into life. And at the same time, Lord, I want to thank you this morning 
that there was a time in my life where I was just like that little boy. But I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And as a result, I was without you, without hope, without a promise, without any sort of security in life. But then Jesus, through the gospel being presented to me, came to my coffin, as it were. And he touched the side of the coffin and said to me, get up. And as soon as he did that, my life was radically changed. I left darkness and came into life. I left death and came into life. Now, that's what Paul the Apostle is talking about in chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's saying the church, the New Testament church, was not an afterthought. This was the pre-planned operation of God. Before eternity was even, uh, basically before creation was ever thrown down, the Bible says, in eternity, God planned for the church to be birthed. And so you, as a moment of your salvation... Jesus touched the side of your coffin, as it were. He caused you to come alive. And in that particular moment, he not only brought you into a personal relationship with God, but check this out, he also brought you into a personal relationship with the family of God, with the church. You see, Jesus' death on the cross was not only sufficient to redeem you and give you a relationship with God, but his death on the cross also brought you into a family. And as a result now of being in this family, what Paul says is, look, he's saying all of these crazy good things that God has done for you, now you need to live those things out in your life. Matter of fact, that's how he charges them. Look with me at Ephesians 4 and verse 1 again. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you. Now, eyeball to eyeball for a moment, implore. That's Paul the apostle reaching out of the scripture, as it were, and he's grabbing those in Ephesus by the shoulders. He's saying, listen, I want to urgently encourage you with this. And then he lays it down. He says, I implore you that you would walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Walk in a manner. That word walk is peripateo in the Greek New Testament. It means you're every day walking around life. So he says, I want your every day walking around life to be worthy. That means to be suitable, to be proper. Check this out. To the calling. And I love that word calling. That is the word that describes the divine invitation of the Lord Jesus upon your life. Was it there a time in your life, by the way, maybe you were in a church service similar to this, and someone was sharing the good news of what Jesus Christ had done, how he died on the cross for your sin, was buried and raised again, and when you heard that message, something inside of you leapt and said, I need that, and then you embraced Jesus, and that was the day you came alive. Do you remember that day? Listen, sometimes you need to just look back. Remember what the Lord Jesus has done for you. And in doing this, he brought you into this family. And now he says, I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy of that calling, that divine summons. And so now, and it's pretty awesome, verse 2 and 3, what Paul the Apostle is going to do is he's going to give us the ingredients for what you and I are to have in our lives in order to experience unity in the body. But before I kind of unpack verse 2, look at verse 3. The Bible says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. And you can see that word diligent. That really is a word that describes this idea that we need to be intentional. We need to fight for something. And here he's saying we need to fight for the unity of the spirit of God in our midst. The unity that we have as a fellowship, we got to fight for it. And by the way, just real quick, I bought an eyeball for a second. Uh, let's, let's just do a show of hands, all right? How many of you have heard of a church before that has split? Would you please slip your hands up? Yeah, yeah. So every single one of you, right? Listen, listen. Jesus died so that people could be reconciled to God, but Jesus also died so that people could be reconciled to one another. 
So whenever a church splits, that goes directly contradictory to what Jesus died for. And so in verse 2 and 3, he's like, listen, you've got to fight for this unity. He wants that to occur in the church at Ephesus. And I would say he wants that also to occur continually in our fellowship, that we fight for unity. Matter of fact, that word preserve, it means to guard. It means to look over something that's been given to us as a gift. And that's pretty awesome. Jesus gave us as a family the gift of unity. And he says, now listen, now you've got to preserve it. Now you've got to fight it. Now look, look at me eyeball to eyeball because here's the reality. Uh, the enemy knows this. The demons of darkness know that a church that is unified will be used greatly by God. So you know what the enemy does? The enemy tries to stir up disunity and division and go after churches that are really seeking to do what God's called them to do. So we've got to all fight for this unity. And what we're going to learn this morning are four ways we can fight for unity. Four things that you can do, choices that you need to make in order to really preserve the unity which has been granted to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me say this to you as well. This unity can also be fought for in your small groups. Matter of fact, often as I begin to describe these choices, I'm going to talk about your small groups. But then I also want you to know that this unity needs to be fought for in your homes. So husband and wife here today. If you're at odds with one another and there are situations in your life, if you will make these choices, I'm telling you, it will help the unity in your home. Parents and students, if there are difficulties at home, students, if you'll make these choices, it will actually help bring harmony and unity in your house. I'm just telling you, this is going to be a massive help to each one of you. So y'all ready for them? Say yes. All right, so here we go. Jot them down. First choice you need to make, I must choose to help. I must choose to help. Now, all I'm going to do is a word study in verse 2. We're going to see together these choices. So look at verse 2 in your Bible. Scripture again says, I'm imploring you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility. Humility, you might want to circle that word humility. And by the way, that's not just an attitude, but it's also an action. As a matter of fact, humility is a word that describes how we think about ourselves. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about humility. He says, humility means putting Christ first, others second, and self last. It means knowing ourselves, accepting ourselves, and being ourselves to the glory of God. That's what humility is. It's this desire to help others. Which, by the way, whenever you're humble, you don't tell people about it. Amen? So you don't say, hey, man, just want you to know I'm a humble guy. Right? Have you ever noticed people like that? They just say, I'm so humble. Matter of fact, some of them are like this. They're like, I'm humble. They're so humble, they don't even pronounce the H. You with me? It's like, I'm just so humble. Look at my life, right? That, that's not the case. That's not what Paul's getting at. But this is the idea of you leaning into help. Now, as I was studying that word humility, I found myself looking at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Listen to what the Bible says. This is awesome. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with, check it, humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. So what does this verse remind us to do? It reminds us that we are to live unselfish lives. We are to regard others within the family of God as more important than ourselves. And I like this. You and I are to possess an excessive willingness to serve others and not assume that others would serve us. Now, lay this down, by the way, upon the fellowship and the family of God. What does it look like? It describes a person. This is you. It describes a person like you who's eager to help others. We don't assume or think others should serve or cater to our personal whims, but instead we should lean in to help create unity and not chaos. And I can imagine this was a massive concept for those who were receiving the letter in the church at Ephesus because as you'll recall, there were both Gentile converts and Jewish converts and there was previously this divide between the two. 
And so he says, listen, Jesus died not only to bring you closer to God, but he brought you close to one another. He broke down those dividing walls. So now that you are one, you got to fight for it. So come in, Jewish believers, with an attitude that says, I want to help you, Gentile believers. And Gentile believers, you come in with an attitude that says, I want to help you, Jewish believers. That is what causes unity to remain. So you have to have that in your life. I have to have it in my life. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, as you enter into fellowship with one, other followers of Jesus at church or in a small group at Concord, uh, what if you entered in with a Clark Howard attitude? Y'all know Clark Howard? Clark Howard has the radio show. Whenever you call in, you ask his financial advice. He answers the phone and he says, how may I serve you? Listen, that's his attitude. So as I was studying this, I'm like, that's all we need. We need to have that kind of, a, how can I serve you? How can I help you? What can I do to be of assistance? Now listen, that's the attitude each one of us to have as we come into fellowship with God's people. We don't need to have this kind of attitude, the attitude that says, let's see if I can learn anything from this teacher. Y'all out there say yes? I'm going to start meddling. Y'all with me? Amen? Don't, don't go into your small group saying, let's see if somebody says hello to me this morning. Don't go into your small group saying, let's see if anybody noticed that I was out last weekend. Listen, no, that is so selfish. That's all you centered, isn't it? It's like, let's see if people recognize me. Calm down. Right? Don't come in with that. What if you went in and said, I want to help. I want to assist. I want to be a part of what's going on. Not a selfish attitude, but I want to guard unity. Whenever you're selfish in any context, this is also true even in your homes. When you are selfish even in your home, it divides. It doesn't create unity. That's what we need. We need unity. So you've got to come in with this idea of helping. And to be honest with you, man, this is something that the Lord has, has really taught me over the years. When I first started preaching, let me tell you what my deal was. When I first started preaching, I would uh, get up and I was scared to death about what everybody's going to think about the sermon, right? So I worked real hard on the sermon. I was trying to put everything. I, I used to alliterate everything too. Y'all with me say amen? I could take any word and make an acrostic, all right? Supercadulophilistic, expialidocious. I would acrosticize that. Y'all with me say amen? Acrosticize, by the way, is a word. Look it up. But I was so concerned with what everybody was going to think about me. And then the Lord's like, why don't you just get up there and try to help them? See, previous, when I was so concerned about what everybody was going to think about me, that was really just pride. But when all of a sudden, the gears began to kind of change in my head, and the Lord began to work on my heart, and then I said, let me just get up and try to help folks. When I come up with that attitude, it changes every single thing that I do. Listen, that's the attitude you have to have as well. The attitude that says, I want to help, I want to serve. Can you imagine Jesus, by the way, when he came to this earth, if he didn't have this kind of attitude? What if Jesus walked into that room where the disciples were, that small group, and he said, y'all wash my feet before we eat? We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about that. No, no. He comes in, though, and what does he do? He grabs a towel. He grabs a basin. He begins to wash his disciples. He's helping. It says of Jesus in the New Testament, he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for me. So we help one another. It changes our attitude. It changes how we look at things. Matter of fact, think of the difference it will make even in a home uh, if a teenager hollered out to his mom instead of saying, Mom, what you cooking? What if the teenager said, Mom, let me help you cook? And y'all should be saying amen to that, right? right? That would totally, first of all, the mom would die. She'd be like, what just happened right here? Who took my son or my daughter? 
But no, that's the difference that help makes, the difference that helps makes. Matter of fact, let me kind of uh, challenge you. Whenever you go into your small group this morning, maybe you could go into your small group with that attitude, that you would go up to your leader, you go up to your outreach leader, your inreach leader, and say, tell me what I can do to help. I want to be of assistance. I want to help our class reach its full potential. I'm here to help. It just changes things. And the Lord says through the scripture, listen, if you want to experience unity, that's the attitude you got to have. you got to have one that says, I want to help. Now, here's the second one. Jot this one down. I must choose to be kind-hearted. Choose to be kind-hearted. Look at verse 2 again. With all humility and gentleness. Now, we've looked at humility. Now, we're looking at the word gentleness. It speaks of being kind or considerate, amiable, and even mild. It describes a person who does not assert personal rights. And again, Erwin Lutz are preaching on this particular verse, says this. He says, being gentle means that you do not have an attitude that says, if it's not my way, then I'm out of here. That's not the attitude gentleness brings. In fact, in the context of fellowship with other followers of Jesus, you'll discover that there are many different kinds of people, and therefore there are many different kinds of preferences. That's just the case. Every single one of us are different. We all have different preferences. You know, on Mother's Day, our family uh, was trying to decide where to go to celebrate Krista as a mom. Y'all with me say Amen. So we hump into the van, and as we are in the van and start cruising, Krista really didn't have a place that she wanted to go, so we narrowed it down to two locations. One was Senor Fiesta, and the second one was Waffle House. Amen? We live in Lula now, so we do Waffle House. Amen. All right, so, so this is it. I'm like, Krista, which one do you go to? She said, I, I, don't, I don't really care. So we polled the kids, right? So I say to the kids, hey, how many of you want to go to Senor Fiesta? Garrison in the back slips his hand up. The other three... They don't budge. So how many of you guys want to go to Waffle House? The other three are like, we want to go to Waffle House. Now, at this moment, I thought of this verse. And the reason I did is because I was studying it, and I thought to myself, here we have four kids. One wants to go one place. The other three don't want to go to that place. They want to go somewhere else. How is Garrison going to respond? Which, by the way, Garrison's the oldest, and he's a lot bigger. <laughs> lot. So I'm thinking, how's he going to respond? Y'all ready to hear how he responds? I just asked y'all a question. Y'all ready to hear? <laughs> he says, that's fine. We'll go to Waffle House. Now, the reason I share this with you is because Garrison could have responded differently. He could have punched his brother upside the head. He could have said, you'd say, Senor Fiesta, I'll break your arm. Right? And then the Oompa Loompa sisters, right? He could have been like kicking them, saying, no, 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 we're going to go to Senor. But instead, he was amiable. He didn't realize it, but he was actually being kind-hearted. He was making a choice. And there are times in the fellowship when you and I as followers of Jesus will find that there are different preferences, and we're not going to meet all of the preferences. So as a result, we have to be amiable. We have to be kind-hearted. And gentleness is not being weak. Gentleness is having strength under control. But every single one of us are called to have this. So you're going to be like... Um, well, a small group isn't this way, then I'm out of here. Or are you going to have the attitude that says, uh, if I don't get to be the leader, I leave? Really? That's not an attitude that guards unity. That's one that causes division. Or are you going to have a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called and choose to be kind-hearted? Choose to be kind. Those are two choices. You make those two choices and you help fight for unity in your small group as well as our church body. Here's the third one. I must choose to chill out. I must choose to chill out. Look at verse 2 in your Bible. The scripture says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And there's that word, patience. Everybody want to circle that one. Everybody, by the way, you love patience. Don't you? Isn't that an awesome word? No, we can't stand patience. 
None of us like patience. We don't like to wait for anything. I was standing in the store just the other day and uh, had a family behind me. The guy was buying a T-shirt. Uh, it didn't look like he was in a hurry to me, but apparently the line was taking too long, so he started being boisterous about it. He's like, we got all these registers. Why is just one of them open? And, you know, I'm sitting there listening to him, and he kind of tries to bring me in on the conversation. So I'd start griping and being impatient with him, and I'm just like, back up, bro. I don't know you. You know what I mean here? So you know what he ends up doing? He ends up, and by the way, it didn't take long, but he ends up taking the T-shirt and throwing it down, and he simply said, I'm, I'm out of here. I don't need this shirt like this. I got places to go. Well, don't let the door hit you. You know what I'm saying? That's just impatient. Now, it's one thing when you act like that in the store, but it's a whole different thing when you act like that in the church body. It really is. And sometimes if we're not careful, we are impatient with one another. And we become impatient with them for whatever reason. Somebody says, I don't like the way the teacher lectures. I don't like how the teacher leads discussion. I don't like the way the class doesn't listen. I don't like the way they act like they don't care. Or sometimes you're like, I don't like the fact that people just aren't all in. Come, now chill out. Everybody in this fellowship is in different stages of spiritual maturity. We have brand new believers. We have mature believers. So mature believers, you can't expect new believers to act like you. They're on a growth process. So you've got to be kind-hearted. You've got to make sure at the same time that you are seeking to chill out and be patient with them. You know, sometimes even if our fellowship with others within the body of Christ, we become extremely impatient. The Lord actually brought this to my attention as I was studying. You know, there are times in my life when I'm impatient with others. I, even, even here, are y'all with me say yes? So even here, so even with some of you, so I want you to pay attention. I'm trying to confess my sins to you. But there are some people in our fellowship um, that are different, you know, in their conversation than I am. I'm the kind of guy that's like, let's get to the facts, please. Let's kind of get the conversation going and done. But then there are some people in our fellowship that they're not like that. Matter of fact, it takes them a long, really, I mean, a long, long time to share things. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm sitting here listening. I'm like, good. Are they still talking? Y'all don't look like you're spiritual, like you've never had these things in your mind. So as I'm, as I'm studying this, and I'm thinking, Lord, how do I apply this in my life? Those are the areas the Lord brought to my attention. He's like, sometimes you're impatient with those who are trying to have a conversation with you. And I'm like, I know, Lord, but they talk forever. Now I've got to be patient. I've got to listen. I've got to love. That word patient, by the way, it's a word that describes an act of forbearance, restraint, emotions under control, not provoked or quick to blaze up in anger. So think about that in your home as well. If everybody in your house is walking around on eggshells afraid that one wrong move is going to cause you to go absolutely nuts, then you're not living with patience. And you need to. And Jesus wants you to. God wants you to. Now, here's the fourth one. Jot this one down. Here it is. I must choose to accept others. We've got to choose to accept others. Verse 2, again, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, whenever you think about tolerance today, your mind might quickly run to what our current culture thinks of tolerance. It's the idea that we've got to tolerate everyone's belief systems, even if they are wrong. But that's not what Paul the Apostle has in mind. In fact, Paul doesn't want us to tolerate wrong belief systems. He actually writes to the church of Galatia and says, if somebody comes to you with a different gospel, even if an angel from heaven comes with a different gospel, then I want you to make sure that you understand those people are to be accursed. So he's not saying tolerate different gospels. 
The idea of tolerance here means that we are accepting of people in the fellowship. Again, everybody in the body of Christ is radically different. All of us are on different maturity levels. Matter of fact, uh, I don't know if you've realized. Y'all realized this before? And, and let's be honest. Y'all with me say, yeah? So let's be honest. Have you realized this before? Everybody in your small group is weird except for you. Have y'all noticed this? I'm serious. Don't act spiritual, right? How many times have you sat down maybe with your spouse? Chris and I, we talk about y'all all the time. Well, those people are weird, aren't they? It's like, yes, they are. You know, one time Chris and I were cutting up, and Krista says, if everybody could just be like us. I was like, I know the world would just be an awesome place, wouldn't it? Because we're, we're very humble. We're humble. <laughs> right? No, no. But that's what happens. Sometimes what we do is we become overly sensitive and critical of others. And we think that everybody else is weird. Everybody else has issues except for us. And I know I've thought that about some of you. I know you've thought that about me as well. But we've got to make sure we don't ostracize each other. Yeah. Even though you're odd, I can't just kind of push you to the side and act like I don't care about you or love you. Listen, Jesus died so you could be a part of this family. So if his blood was sufficient to actually purchase you and make you a part of this family, then I would trample his blood if I said I wanted to have nothing to do with you. So I can't ostracize you. I can't push you off to the corner and act like, well, that guy's just crazy. No, no, no. i got to tolerate you. I do. That was in the Bible. Did y'all see it there? Tolerate you. I said, so what I'm doing with some of y'all just tolerating you. <laughs> I'm just messing with y'all. Y'all look so serious, man. That's what you got to do with me, though. You got to tolerate me as well. We've got to make sure that we're accepting each other. And we do that for the sake of what Jesus died for. So again, think about this fact, all right? So this is something you have to be intentional about fighting for in this church body, and that's unity. And if you're going to do it, there's four choices. So let's put them up there once again on the screen. Those four choices, I've got to choose to help. I've got to make sure, secondly, that I choose to be kind-hearted, that I choose to chill out, and I choose to accept others. And then notice what Paul does, all right? So Paul gives us this charge and then in verses 4 through 6, he elevates the unity that we are to experience. He even says it. Notice there, there's one body. It describes all people who have been redeemed by Jesus, both dead and alive. We are members of the body of Christ. It's often described as the universal church. This is where every single person who has given their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, those individuals are part of the body. Then the scripture says there's one spirit. It refers to the Spirit of God who resides within every follower of Jesus. And remember, the Holy Spirit is what he, he brings unity among the body of Christ. He did that throughout the Gospels. He does that uh, in the book of Acts. Some remarkable truth. I wish I had time to kind of unpack that. But then he says there's one hope. It describes how all followers of Jesus have a confident expectation of the return of Christ. It describes our future together. Then there's one Lord. All true followers of Jesus surrender to his lordship in their lives. And in doing so, they're enabled to live in harmony with each other. And even Paul describes himself in verse 1 as a prisoner of the Lord. And then he says there's one faith. It describes a body of truth given to us by Christ. Objectively, it speaks of God's word. Subjectively, it speaks of our trust in his word. And then he says there's also one baptism. It describes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this occurs in a person's life whenever they give their hearts to Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the Bible says, 
For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. So here again, the spirit of God comes to reside within you at the moment of salvation. And the Holy Spirit brings unity among the body. And then he says, there's one God and father of all. And this is a marvelous reality of God being the father of every child in his family wrought to him by Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, I bought an eyeball. Sometimes people say, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We are not all God's. We're all God's creation. But you don't become God's child till you're born again and you're in his family. Because that's when the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to call out to God as Abba Father. Prior to that, you, you, that God's not your daddy. The Bible says the devil is. Y'all with me saying yeah? I mean, that's just clear as a bell in the Scripture. But anyway, there's one God and one Father of all. And because of this great oneness brought to us by the Lord Jesus Christ and given to the church, we've got to endeavor to guard the unity for the sake of His glory. So let me kind of uh, end this message with a few questions for you. And we've got these for you on the screen as well. But I want you to ask this about yourself. Here it is. When it comes to God's family, maybe you think about your small group. When it comes to God's family, do I show up to help or to be helped? Or when it comes to God's family, secondly, ask this question. Do I uh, seek to be kind-hearted, or am I just trying to get my way? And then here's the third one. Again, maybe think of your small group. When it comes to God's family, am I chilling out, or am I easily rubbed the wrong way? And then here's the fourth question. When it comes to God's family, am I accepting others, or am I rejecting them? Listen, I bought an eyeball because this is huge. God has already told us through chapters 1, 2, and 3 what has happened to us. We've been redeemed by Jesus, put in the church, this family. And now in 4, 5, and 6, he's like, here's now how you're supposed to live. I want you to make sure the unity which Jesus died for is preserved by you exercising these principles in your life. And by the way, this is what Jesus prayed for. In John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, you know what Jesus prayed? He prays like this. He's saying, Father, I'm praying that they, talking about the church, would be one, just as you and I are one. Are y'all listening? Come here, come here. Jesus says, Father, the same way that you and I are one, I want them to be one. You can't get any more unified than the Trinity. And yet the Lord wants us to experience that with each other. And if we can experience that, that means we've got to fight for that unity. We have to exercise these principles. Amen on that? All right, let's bow together. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts as you see fit this morning, and we'll give you glory for it. Your head's bowed, your eyes closed. Nobody's looking around this morning. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to take what you've learned today and pray it into your life. Because here's the reality. If you're not careful, you listen to a few things, jot them down, but you don't really apply them to your heart through prayer. That's what kind of tattoos the truth on your soul. So right now, would you just pray? Maybe some of you just need to pray, Lord. This morning, I really need to become a helper. I want to help. I thought everything kind of revolved around me, Lord, but this morning, I just admit to you that that's, that's not true, that I need to be a helper. Or here's the second one, right? Maybe you need to pray this one into your life. Lord, I, I just need to be kind. I've, I've rejected people. I've pushed people away. But today, I want to choose to be kind-hearted. Well, perhaps this morning, you, you need to pray, Lord, help us. Help me. Help me 
to make sure I'm patient, that I'm just, I just chill out with people. And then help me as well to make sure in my life that I'm seeking to accept others. And Father, we don't study the Bible just so we can gain head knowledge. We study it so that we can apply it to our hearts. So help us to do that by faith this morning. And we'll give you glory. With your head bowed, your eyes closed this morning. If you're here today and you've not given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, then listen, uh, you're not a part of the family yet, but man, I want you to know we want you in the family, and so does God. For God so loved you, the Bible says, that he sent his son Jesus to die for you on the cross. That's what he did. Jesus came to die for your sin, just as he did for mine. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. The payment of our sin is death. So this morning, if you will pray and turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus, you can be forgiven. And listen, Jesus can touch the side of your coffin this morning and make you come alive. So perhaps that's your prayer. That's what you need to give your heart to Christ. If that's you to do, let me, let, me, let me just ask you to pray that right where you are. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. So today I'm turning from my sin and placing my trust in you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you for his resurrection. Now help me to live a new life. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if you're here today and that's the prayer of your heart, the first step of obedience is baptism. We're celebrating that in our next service. We'd love to set you up a time in the days ahead to be baptized. So if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ in a moment when we stand to our feet, I'll be here in the front. You come forward. Leave the place where you've been seated. This church will do nothing but encourage you and love you. And we'll accept you just as you are, just like the Lord did. And at the same time, God may be calling you to join this church body. If that's the case, you'd be obedient to the Lord this morning. And Father, we give you the invitation today and pray that you'll work. And that's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing this morning, you come.